Hey, if you love the rewatchables, did you know we put up a new episode on Monday? E.T., The Extraterrestrial, one of the most famous movies of my lifetime. Me, Mallory Rubin, Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy broke it down. If you want to hear five years of the rewatchables, go to our archive on Spotify. Last 45 days, available on all platforms. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on Monday, ET. Also, Prestige TV Pod, me, Big Waz, Chris Ryan, broke down the third and fourth episodes of We Own This City, um, a spectacular show. We explain why. Please go listen to that. I want you to watch that show. I think it's an important show. I think it's a special show. I think it is the spiritual son of the wire. And we explain why on that podcast, the Prestige TV podcast. Check it out. FanDuel Sportsbook, by the way, doing a same game parlay this week, probably looking at something for game two of Celtics Miami on Thursday night. So stay tuned for that. Maybe we can figure out uh, something in the four to one, five to one range. And then coming up on this podcast, at the very top, reacting to uh, Miami Celtics game one. And then we're going to show in real time how me, KOC, Brian Rossillo, Kyle Mann all reacted to the lottery as it was happening from about 5.07 p.m. Pacific time all the way through till after. Um, instant reactions, how we felt about the trade possibilities, all that stuff. It is uh, it's all in there. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, taping this 8.30 Pacific time. Ryan Russell, Kyle Mann, Kevin O'Connor, they're all here. We convened earlier and did the lottery. That's coming up in a second. We're going to talk about Miami-Boston game one. Can't call this the Jimmy Butler game because he's had a lot of these. But, uh, Russillo, what jumped out, out to you about Jimmy Butler taking the manhood of the Boston Celtics away here in the second half of the game? Yeah, I mean, he enjoys this as much as any star in the NBA. Just a little reminder every now and then. You know, we saw it after the end of the Philly thing. Um, you know, I can't believe that third quarter. 
You know, like if Miami had won tonight, I wasn't going to be shocked. But to see them dominate it that way um, and and kind of like, you know, it always felt like Boston's the team. It goes, hey, we'll crank this up, but we'll be ready for it because we're expecting it. And it was like Boston was totally like, wait, these guys are playing really hard <laughs> in yeah. the third quarter. And I mean, I kept looking up being like, wait, this is 22-2 to start the third quarter. They didn't have their first field goal made until seven minutes out of the quarter. Um, so Miami just, I always love this thing about third quarters and really good teams, really good teams show up in that quarter. And, uh, Miami just owned it from there on out, even though there's a little scare, maybe at the end, but not really. And six turnovers for Tatum in the third quarter. The Butler Tatum thing was not great in the second half. And at the same time, home team's supposed to win game one, right? KOC? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's expected Miami would at least get one of these, especially without Horford and smart for Boston. Uh, but like Ryan said, though, just the way it happened though. With that third quarter dominance, just Celtics couldn't even dribble the ball up the court. Looked like JV against Jimmy Butler, just bullying them, ripping the ball away from Tatum. I mean, Tatum goes from looking like a, you know, top five player in the league to not even close to that in the second half. It was a disastrous second half for him. Tatum's top five volume through the playoffs has been extraordinary. (laughs) The number of shares that have been traded. (laughs) It's very volatile. Yeah, he finishes with a 29-8-6, and and it feels... A lot worth, uh, a lot worse than that. Kyle, what'd you see from a strategy standpoint? Uh, the main thing that jumped out to me in that third quarter, where it seemed like things really, it, Miami as a unit can really crank up the speed, like as like as one, not just like a few guys. And what, something that really jumped out to me is, and they pointed this out on the broadcast, they were really, you know, we've praised Tatum a lot for his his. Uh, we talk about seeing two when you're a great scorer like him. That's the thing that you got to develop over time and. He's done well at that, but Miami just started really coming uphill on him and forcing him, forcing his teammate a teammates to make back cuts, which they weren't doing, uh, catching him off guard when they were trying to get into their high post stuff, uh, but daring Tatum to kind of make those like, you know, backdoor passes and things like that, and he just wasn't responding. But they were also just kind of changing up the speed of how quickly they did it, just making him uncomfortable. Uh, I, I'd assume he'll be more ready for that next time. Uh, but Miami just did a great job, and Jimmy just feasted on it and, and getting to the line on the other end. Celtics had pretty bad game one against Brooklyn, right? They were lucky to escape that one, but that was the closest they came to losing any game that series. Bad game one against Milwaukee. Bad game one here. This felt to me like Miami studied that Milwaukee tape. They picked out like the three to four things. Oh, Boston can't really dribble. Let's take advantage of that. Oh, if Pritchard's in the game, let's do everything we can to just get Butler isoed on him at top of the key and let Butler do some stuff. Uh, let's be super physical with Tatum. Let's overplay that little entry pass to the top of the key with our weak side guy and hop that. They won't think to backdoor it. I think the Celtics will have adjustments to all of this. The big thing for me is Smart didn't play. The Horford thing, they could replace his minutes, especially in this series with Tyson, Rob Williams, and be okay. But the smart thing, now you lose, you can't switch on everything with Tatum and Brown and, and Smart. All of a sudden, Miami's just hunting Pritchard. KOC, did you get Kemba Walker bubble 2020 flashbacks? Hundred percent. I mean, that that's what Hero did in that game four when he had 37 points against yes. the Celtics in the bubble. It was just Kemba Wanamaker over and over and over again. And yeah, we did see uh, Miami hunt quite a bit in that in that fashion. And that's where having you know, you play Pritchard 30 minutes, and of course, he had some great moments on offense, but um, what you lose on defense, 
it's it's clear how much they were missing Marcus Smart in tonight's game. And I, I agree with you more so than Horford. And plus, not to mention, you know, you have Tatum Brown taking the ball up the floor more often and you lose Smart in that sense, too. A yep. bit more of a reliable guy to help uh, initiate the offense. Jimmy Butler, 18 free throws. Felt like the right amount. He was creating contact all the time. We have irrational confidence stars, Rosillo. He's the irrational confidence superstar. I, I watched this game thinking Jimmy Butler was probably pissed off for the last two weeks that he had to hear about the Jason Tatum party. He's like, oh, wait. Just wait till I get to go head-to-head against Tatum. Felt like he had a little extra to him. And Tatum reverted back to that little brother 2018, 19, 20. You know, he wasn't matching it like he did with Durant and Giannis. And I don't know whether to be alarmed by that or it's just a new series. What do you think? I do think we're getting almost insane about Tatum when we're updating his Hall of Fame resume every fucking 12 <laughs> minutes. So if you'll allow me to make that statement, yeah, I can I can move on from there because the first the first half, some of the shots Tatum was making, I was like, "Are you kidding me with him yeah. right now?" Like this is ridiculous what Tatum is doing. And when they were up, I'm like, "Look, I like Celtics, I like their offensive options here. I thought that the standard that they had played to, which much higher than what Miami had gone up against, so that kind of baked in in my first two rounds of trying to figure out who Butler was. But Butler, who got a lot of love a couple years ago for that playoff run, deservedly so. Um, if you look at some of the advanced metrics on who he was, his PER, if I just want to use that one, it was a 23.8. Going into tonight through 10 playoff games, Butler's PER is over 31, which is like MVP type stuff. Uh, if you're talking about a full regular season, and it's going to go up even more so. And I think you're absolutely right about the free throws. Um, you know, the Neesmith one where he got the block at the end of the first half and then Butler just bait him right into it. He had the most dismissive mm. look like this idiot. He barely plays. He just gets this sick chase down block. He's like, you might as well not even like I was going to the line. So there's a little bit in there like Grant Williams is slowly becoming if you close out, you can't go for the first up fake guy because it's becoming so predictable the way Embiid had that for a while in his game for like mm. two years. Oh, that hitch that hitch he had. Yeah, that top of the key three where you'd be like, stop going for the first movement on it. Grant has a little of that in him. It may need, you know, a little refresher course on, on Jimmy because his is quicker and he gets into you and it's. You know, other guys get into you and it feels forced. He still gets into you and gets the contact. You don't feel like you're getting cheated as bad. So um, he's going to get his free throws, but you just could be a little bit ready, a little more ready for that up fake. But I, I think, you know, one of the things you guys keep hitting on here, Pritchard getting hunted at the end on the Gabe Vincent assignment. They did a really good job of actually getting Tatum back. Like you don't see that very often, where the guy who gets screened into the switch, yeah, the you're flip like, flop back, yeah, yeah, and then they switch it where they try to get Derek White involved, and then I think he backed Derek White down from 23 feet out. Uh, I, you know, that third quarter was really bad, man. I wouldn't have expected that. A loss without Smart and Horford, first game in rest, okay, yeah, but I, I think that third quarter was like awful. For well, you Boston. know how bad it was. It was the second worst <laughs> quarter. In Celtics playoff history, apparently. <laughs> Minus 25. The only one that was worse for them was Game 2, Cavs, 2017, second quarter. That got outscored 40-13. They shot 2 for 15 in the third quarter, which Goldsberry said was their worst in any quarter over the last four seasons. In the first half, Goldsberry also said they had 42 po- paint points, which was their most of the half in the last 25 seasons. So when you're watching the first half, it's like, Man, too much, too big. 
They're too, too many big options. for this Miami team. Those dump but, downs of Rob Williams because you're helping with Tatum and every time they were they outscored uh, him I think by like 16 or. And then I, you're thinking you know, like Horford's coming back, like the yeah. size this <laughs> is gonna gonna be great. And then the other thing, just as a Celtics fan, it, it was just so nice not to have Giannis out there. I felt such a relief just that just that not to have this, you know, pre- apex predator just roaming <laughs> the court. Instead, every, you get Bam. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then Bam in the third quarter turned into basically started doing a Giannis impersonation. Um, Kyle, did you see anything from this from the Celtics side from a positive standpoint that they can take into game two? Because I don't think they're gonna have Horford in game two, but they will have Smart. So what what are you trying to build on if you're the Celtics? Because to me, the number one thing is, and Tatum, we've seen him do this now two straight series. I have faith in him to be able to do this again. But take your time. Don't don't try to match the pace of the game. Figure it out. Don't be casual with the ball and just kind of settle into whatever your groove is for this series. What did you see from the Boston side that they can uh, work with? I think it's kind of uh, you always want to work with the advantage of having some something to study. You know, Miami showed them things tonight that I think that uh, Tatum has shown that he's learning. He's he's like adaptable. Uh, just slowing down, like you said, and and having having smart out there that they can have somebody else bring it up so that like all eyes aren't on Tatum all the time. Not that he's not capable of that. I thought Tice, I don't know if you all would agree or disagree. I thought the Tice minutes weren't terrible. Like I thought he had some moments where he did pretty well when he got into yeah. switches. That's something that like if you can just buy time and bridge between now and when you can get some of those guys back. I do think Horford matters in terms of like ball security. Uh, whenever if they want to start from the elbow, because Horford's pretty solid around there. I thought Yudoka got pretty pissed off during one time. He I did. Know, like, hang on to the fucking ball or something. But I, th- I think the advantage of information there, and um, I don't know, maybe we'll see more Tice minutes. I think on the on the playoffs, he's averaging like 13 minutes per game, and he got 20 tonight. Uh, maybe we'll see more of him. KOC, how many Derek Whites are there? I mean, there's a, there's a scared one who struggles to score offensively. And then there's the the grinder on defense. I think we see both versions at all times. It's just sometimes it works on offense. Other times it doesn't. But I, I think he's pretty consistently, like even going back to his time in San Antonio, has had these ups and downs on off, offense where it's just, it feels like he's not offering a lot. But, he, you know, he's always bringing something defensively. I said this to Rosillo Sunday night. I know right away. I have I have Derek White. I I know in thirty seconds you could see today he was he was like super passive, Derek White, and without Smart in that game, that becomes a pretty tough task. I don't understand the Gabe Vincent piece of this. Rosillo, is it insane to say that they're just better off with Gabe Vincent than Kyle Lowry at seventy five percent? Because I don't think it is. No, not at all. I mean, Gabe was unbelievable tonight. Uh, he was awesome. It's, it's just not. I mean, that one step back that he hit, and then the like you thought, okay, great defensive possession. Nope. And then he had that three on the right side. And these were big shots too. You know, it, yeah. like sometimes you'll look down and be like, okay, 17 points, but God, all 17 of his felt, you know, most of them, I should say, felt like they were huge points. And if your two-man action is with him and you trust him, and he had the size advantage uh, on the on the original assignment, depending on how they were trying to align it there. Uh, and the way Lowry has looked, it's not ridiculous to say that at all. I, you know, because they've tried. I think I think that's maybe the scary part on the Lowry storyline is is that they tried and it looked that bad. So then you're like, okay, now where are we? 
Right. Well, I thought Old Depot was good tonight, and I don't think that's always been the case every playoff game either. So I think that was part of the story tonight. The one thing with him is he does bring the defense. I still, when he's wide open and he's, and he's shooting a three, I'm delighted because yeah, I don't I mean, think he, it's going in. But he I was think two his, and nine, but I thought his defense, you're right. His pressure and his athleticism, thought were, uh, I thought were really high end. I'm trying to figure out if, if I'm trying to talk myself into the Celtics playing a better game too. I think Smart has to come back. I don't know if they can win in Miami without Smart. And the Celtics have been a pretty good road team just in general. What did you hear about Smart, KOC? What, like, when do you think he comes back? Is it game two or later? I haven't heard anything specific about when he could return. Um, it, it seems like it could be a game two or three thing with him. But, I mean, it's like you kind of alluded to earlier, Bill. You can't, you can't switch the same way without him. And that's what Boston did so effectively last round against the Bucks. It's what they did against the Nets. Whereas tonight, they dropped on the pick and roll more often than they switched. They dropped 33 times. They switched 22 times on screens. Last round against Milwaukee, they switched 206 times to dropping 63 times. So they they dropped in the pick and roll over half the time they did throughout the entire series last round against mm. the Bucks. And Marcus Smart, with his point of attack defense and his versatility against size is what allows you to do that. I mean, he is integral. That's what we really found out tonight with Jimmy Butler getting wherever he wanted on the court is when you don't have Marcus Smart either as a help defender or a guy who's able to switch on to him or the guy who starts out on him, you're, it's, it's going to be a trouble without Marcus Smart at near 100% at the least. And I think they needed his testosterone in this game too. Miami, Miami's a very like throw on the tank top, head outside, have pop a bottle and, uh, and just try to wait until somebody looks at you cross-eyed kind of team. And I felt like in the second half, they got very aggro in a good way. And uh, I just don't feel like the Celtics matched it. Kyle, if you're a Milwaukee fan right now, what bums you out more? The P.J. Tucker piece of this or the fact that they actually pressured the Celtics who apparently just can't dribble? And the Bucks, anytime they did that, it seemed like they had success and then they would forget. They didn't play Javon Carter, which I continue to think is nuts. But um, I, I think the pressuring the ball handlers on Boston is a real advantage for the other team. Miami knew that. You knew Spoo was supposed to do that. But then the P.J. Tucker piece, is that Milwaukee series different if they just re-sign P.J. Tucker? Because I'm not sure it is, but I think it's an argument. Uh, I mean, Tucker definitely helps in just agitating. I don't know that you're looking for like a, a net result of like maybe it equals, you know, this or that amount of points. Does it swing one of those games if he's out there <laughs> instead of Grayson Allen? like? Yeah, it I, might. I, yeah, I think a lot of Milwaukee's problem is they just need to upgrade some of their like. I think I really think they miss like Divincenzo and like guys that could attack yeah. off the catch. I had a stat for you uh, talking about Tatum in the third quarter and the pick and rolls and maybe the problem of not having uh, somebody to like steady as as Miami terms up the the pressure. Tatum ran eleven pick and rolls in the third quarter and he was 0. 0.2 points per possession during that Ooh. time. So, uh that's bad. So, uh it was it was just kind of <laughs> chaos and Miami really capitalized on it. Priscilla, what do I do with the text that I have at halftime saying I wish I had bet the Celtics sweep? <laughs> do I just throw my phone in the ocean? What do I do? Um I, I got to tell you, I felt I felt very normal at the half. I I did. Um but you know, there is another lesson in all this with the Celtics. When it doesn't go right, it usually means Jalen's been terrible. And his final line 
is very misleading because you got there's some buckets there at the end when it still was like, wait, they're going to sneak this into like a game. Are they going to get it to six? But but Vincent hit the three. Butler felt like he was scoring. Struess had the big shot. And Boston was kind of hitting a couple threes on their end. You're like, all right, well, they're just exchanging. Everybody's shot making right now for a three-minute stretch. They're not going to get it close enough. But um, Jalen's free throws, there was those two free throws after the the flagrant, I think. And you were like, yeah. what the hell's going on? Because he was kind of shaking the ball. And I don't – I'll never forget like when Ray Allen, towards the end of his career, I was like, so he can't dribble anymore, huh? I was like, Ray Allen just can't dribble. Like, if Ray Allen gets it and has to dribble it three times, it's not going to work. I'm like, mm. was he always like this? Jalen is a lot younger than this realization that I had with Ray Allen. But, I mean, I'll ask you guys. Has it always been this bad? Because sometimes when he's trying to get going, the ball isn't with him. He's taking these, like, baby deer steps. He and gets butterfingers like, sometimes. It's really it's like weird. A, it's his it, whole career. It's got small hands. Yeah. Has it okay? But has it always been this bad with the handle? I feel Casey like and yes. I've talked about this for yeah. hours. I feel like <laughs> I mean, all right, yeah, that was his thing. I mean, you, it seems like it, it's improved, but like when you get a team like Miami that is so fast and physical, you can kind of start to see the seams a little bit. I think KOC used to do a thing where he said Jalen Brown's dribbling with the wrong hands, but it didn't catch on. <laughs> So then he moved to Ben Simmons shoots with the wrong hand and that, that took off. So it was a workshop then, Cassie. I mean, Jalen was so robotic at Cal. Yeah. Cal, Jalen's a completely different conversation. He's still one of the most amazing turnarounds. So Mm -hmm. go ahead. I interrupted, but. Oh, no, I I mean, you're right, Ryan. Like compared to Cal, it's an amazing turnaround. But yeah, I mean, he still definitely has some of the issues that, you know, were concerning pre-draft. It's just, you know, against a team like Miami, as you said, that amount of ball pressure, he's still not all the way there. But that's why he's not a number one. He's a two. And he's an or a three. Or a three. One thing I was excited about, Rosillo. Rosillo, I know you love nothing more than white guard versus white guard feuds. And there were some breadcrumbs dropped with the Harold Pritchard rivalry that shades of Kerr Stockton, 97 and 98, of just two guys who were the same size. Pritchard tried to defend him when they were calling a timeout and I think tried to poke it and that Harrow was walking to the bench turning around screaming at Pritchard. I'm like, just keep an eye on that with those two guys. Who knows? It's funny that those things can happen sometimes and you're like, wait, that happened? Um, I don't know where you're, where you're scouting. Where's your, where are your combine numbers on them being the same size? <laughs> <laughs> well, they seem pretty close, right? What is it? Hero's like an inch taller? How tall is Hero? No way. He's like 6'5". Yeah, Hero's yeah, like 6'5". How tall is Pritchard? Like six two, six yeah. one. Six, well, I'll tell you what. The way Pritchard's posture was, they looked like they were the same size. He, he was he raising his face. Let me let me throw this to you. Yeah, because I, I think that there's been that you know my my term you know a reclassification. What Grant Williams did in Game Seven is going to go down in history. Doesn't even matter what happens because it's just been he's found a way to contribute. Multiple defensive player, hit threes. Keep you honest. Is he possibly the most annoying player in the NBA right now? They just shouldn't mic him up. They can't. He no. He no one's ever wanted to be more mic'd up than him. And then somebody's going to realize, like, oh my god, this guy loves to do it, and he's starting to think that he deserves calls, like he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And it happened really quickly. And I have moments like when he started going at it with Ime, and Ime, Ime didn't put him in again to close the game. I think Udoka gets really 
really annoyed. And I'm telling you that April Fool's joke when they were pretend fighting Udoka and Grant, and then people sort of asked through like, hey, what'd you think was going to happen? And a couple of players were like, we hoped he may have kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on top of other stories, Kyle's just rolling his eyes right now because we have a thread just, about, about this. I just, God, I, I, it's, a tough, it's a tough watch sometimes. That's this, this is just, this is what I tried to tell people. And this is why I had, a, I've been wrong about Grant. Like he, he is a good player. He's really like, good. I, I, he's, he's really good. He, yeah. This is what we in the SEC went through with him for years. <laughs> so when he went into the NBA, we were all just like, this fucking guy. Like, seriously. So it's just like, it was hard. It was hard for me. That was hard. And I, I, it's going to be fun to watch the, the broader NBA audience acclimate to him. Like, uh, Ryan's right. It's just... But it's funny during that the mic'd up. It's like the whole team was just kind of looking around yeah, but, while but he was mi- talking. The mic'd up stuff, if you have a buddy like that, like I was seriously just having flashbacks to a roommate where you're like, we don't hate you, but God, we wish we talked to you less. Yeah. So I wish there was a mute button that came with you. I was, uh, I was texting a Celtic buddy of mine that if they somehow win the title, Grant's summer and fall dining off the title is going to rank with any annoying, you know, like remember that year Victor Cruz like was in writing a book and doing all that. Like, I do feel like it would be on that level potentially. Somebody's going to have a talk, have to have Gr- a talk with him. Well, Grant Williams at one point, I think when he was a rookie had a podcast with Taco Fall. I mean, maybe he'll start off a podcast again. I, it oh, reminds me of like, like when they sent a, uh, a police escort for Doug Mirabelli after a trade. (laughs) (laughs) There is like, sometimes you win the world series of the super bowl and those guys do pop up though, where it's like all of a sudden they're on like the Stephen Colbert show. And it's like, really? This is happening. I, I, you know, Hey, I like Grant Williams, but don't make him up anymore, please. I like Grant. I appreciate what he's done and what he's turned into here in a very short amount of time. Look, it's incredible, you know, because people started thinking the beginning of the time. But there was a bust. Remember Tybo over Grant Williams? I probably bitched about that for two years. He swung that last series. Like, he he absolutely did. did. I mean, he he was phenomenal on Giannis. But that's that's what makes him the the little annoying tendencies he has that'll pop up in the mic'd up thing. That's also, I think, what makes him a good player. It's like he's just kind of relentless. And he really does think he belongs with all these other guys, which I think I'd rather have that quality than somebody totally. who's completely terrified. I'm agreeing with I'm agreeing with everything you guys are saying, just just for the record. But yeah, the mic'd up stuff. When you just said you just started shaking your head when I brought it up, going, Yeah, they just can't. They can't do it. And then well, he's he had like, that one in the huddle when he was like kind of yelling at everybody like he was Michael Jordan in the last dance. And that's that's when I got a little worried because I was like, "There's just no way this is flying with like Tatum and Brown." If to hear this, and Marcus was like over, like <laughs> you could see he was like visibly far away from the huddle at that point. I wonder if he was just like, "I just can't." I don't. I just look the the dynamic is so fun. Broderick Thomas of Truman State in his, in his beach loungewear was like telling Grant, "Okay, dude." <laughs> Hey, do you think they should have Ray Allen's shoes in the corner from where he made the famous shot? Because somebody made a shot from there today. And I think Van Gundy was like, or Jackson said, oh, that's, you know, or Ray Allen once upon a time. And I was thinking like, that has to be the only shot where it should actually be commemorated on the court. 
whatever end it was. I'm not sure which side it was, but I no, do feel it was like- that, it's that spot because it was Oladipo in the corner and it was the push by Grant onto Bam where they called the foul before the shot went. Yeah. So we saw it a million times. I think times. they should do that. with Like in Utah, there should be a spot for the Jordan shot and just on down the line. Like <laughs> There's remember, just an just obstruction like small, on the court. Like, small like just marks, literally. yeah. Uh, just like a like magic hook, like that. some brass um, shoes just in the corner. Deal with it. Sorry, they're there. All right, we want to get to the lottery part of this podcast, but before uh, before we do that, let's just go quickly. Kyle, what was your prediction for this series before Game One, and what is it now? I thought Boston would do it, and I still think they can. Oh. Rosillo, I Boston six. Oh, that third quarter, alarming was was alarming was alarming there. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of felt like the whole time, like I just didn't know if Miami was was all that. But, you know, I wasn't sure if Boston was all that when they were down 3-2 Milwaukee either. So that's kind of how I went with it based on opposition. Uh, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, a little shook after that third quarter. KOC? I had Celtics in six, and I'll stick to it. I mean, not so bad considering no Al Horford and Marcus Smart. I thought the Celtics were going to lose tonight even before the Horford thing. Just because of the turnaround from that last series, I think that's a really tough spot. I am a little alarmed by the Jimmy Butler piece of this. Because if you, it only has to happen four times where Jimmy outplays Tatum. I mean, really, it only has to happen three times. You know they're going to get the one hero game where he just makes like eight or nine threes and just goes off. And then the Gabe Vincent piece of this is also concerning to me. Now, I don't know if he can do that on the road. We'll see if he can do that in Boston in game three and four, but he looks very comfortable at home. And basically what he gave them tonight is what they thought they were getting from Lowry when they spent, you know, $25 million a year on him. I'm a little more concerned. I still feel like the home team should win game one, and I thought the Celtics were going to lose tonight. And I still think the Celtics um, have a better team. But yeah, I'm alarmed. I'm a little alarmed from that one. We'll see how they respond. Ime, I'm sure we'll be uh, yelling at everybody for the next two days to try to put some chest hair on them. When we come back, we're going to go backwards in time. Uh, four hours to the uh, as the lottery unfolded and all of our reactions right after this. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm. 
is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, we're taping this right now. It is 5.07 Pacific time, Tuesday night. The NBA ladder is about to happen. We thought it would be fun if we did this in real time. Ryan Russell is here, Kevin O'Connor, J. Kyle Mann. Um, I don't, this could be a really boring lottery. This could be an amazing lottery. I have no feel for it. We're going to play a little speed round to get us going. Rosillo, favorite player in the draft? Favorite player that's that's not at the top? I think I'm most intrigued with Usman Jang, the Australian 6'11 mm. kid. Okay. I think, he's, K- I think he's too low. KOC? How about Shaden Sharp? Uh, I think of the mid-lottery guys, Shaden Sharp, his scoring ability, out of, even though he didn't play Kentucky, uh, he could easily become the best player of this year's draft. What do you got, Kyle? Wow. Uh, favorite, I just said this on our Spotify live show, my favorite player is David Roddy from Colorado. I think he's just <laughs> the most fun. Uh, I just enjoy him. Uh, that, that's my, no, that's my answer. I'm done. Are, there it is. are you familiar with him, Bill? He played quarterback in high school, but he's six foot six, 255 pounds. He's awesome. Yeah, he's amazing. He's so fun. I still like my Baylor guy. That's still, that's my favorite of the so him? three. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's cool. All right, next speed round question. KOC, how many All-NBA guys are in this draft? How about four? Is that too many? That I was going to say the over-under is three yeah. and a half. Yeah, I, I think, like, you know, if you're Bancaro, Smith, Holmgren, like, those are the obviously the three that you choose. But if you're choosing one more after that, you know, a Sharp, maybe a, you know, a, a Johnny Davis, if he's able to expend his rain, extend his range to three, or Jang, like Ryan said. He's a lot of upside at 6'10 with his scoring ability. There's a good amount of guys. What do you got, Kyle? I was going to say more than three, you get into like historic draft territory, right? I mean, like 2018 had, uh, I forget how many, but I I think probably like two, you know, I don't imagine, I don't expect all three of those guys to get there. Obviously, you start talking about like who could slide up or down. Sharp has superstar potential. Another guy that like was projected to be a superstar is Pat Baldwin. We were just talking about him as a guy who was highly rated throughout. Could Pass. be undervalued. I know it rhymes <laughs> on in. We're talking to purely hypotheticals here, Rusillo. Uh, it's outside possible. I don't think it'll happen, but probably two. What do you got, Rusillo? This is always something you should go like, what's my initial instinct? And then give it like a 50% no way that's going to happen tax. So, yeah, you're right. If we get four, I mean, is it all NBA appearances or perennial all NBA? Just like, once, one yeah. time. Just once. I mean, it's still, I would always take the under on this because, I mean, hell, if you go back the last five to six years, half of the top 10 guys, more than half, are gone within like three years. It's crazy the turnover that we've had in the top 10 for recent drafts. Yeah. I think safe to say two of the top three could get there. And then you figure one wild card guy in like the eight to 13 range because that seems to be pretty consistent over the years. All right, next question. Kyle, top 10 lottery teams. Which one has built up the best lottery karma? You know, I love karma. Detroit, who I thought played with nobility down the stretch, especially. They were they were frisky. They were Cade was out there. They were just trying to beat teams. You got San Antonio, who could have rolled over, decided not to. 
made it to the playing game. New Orleans, another one that could have rolled over. They said, fuck it. Let's trade for CJ McCollum. Let's go for it. Take Phoenix to six. Or um, OKC, not really for how they ended this year, but more um, just for how they flipped it around with George and Westbrook and all the assets they got and just how smart they've been. Who has the best lottery karma, in your opinion, out of those four? Well, you've kind of indirectly expressed that you have some kind of equation in your mind for like uh, karma, uh, like in terms of like how you handle tanking. Uh, is, is that kind of what I'm picking up on here? Yeah. Uh, and, and dumb stuff like Sacramento to me has no karma. They're just dumb every year. They've, they've been eliminated from the discussion because they're just dumb. So well, I, mean, I think like intelligence has to be a piece of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that you kind of have to ding teams for not drafting well, too. I mean, Detroit was bad, so they kind of had the luxury because they didn't build a team that works. Sorry, KOC. Uh, Killian hasn't quite been what we thought he would be. So, I mean, yeah, they've been competitive. Um, I would say I like New Orleans just because, like, I vibe is kind of on their side right now. It seems like it'd be pretty fun if this swung back around. And we're talking about purely just kind of wild stuff here. Uh, it, it'd be interesting if... Uh, if they got a good pick out of this and somehow entice Zion even more to come back. Rosillo? If we're going karma based on the bill formula that if you know them long enough, you know exactly what it is, like that you take it more seriously, that you're not full-on tankathon, you're not a shitty front office, he doesn't hate you for some historic reason. Uh, <laughs> I think the Spurs have the most karma then. Mm. They were my runner-up choice. So what do you have, KOC? It is the Spurs because they could have and probably should have tanked harder, but they didn't tank at all. They went for the play-in. They got in, got some experience for their good collection of young players, and they still have the ninth best draft lottery odds. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, Rosillo, funniest outcome. LA getting the first pick and immediately handing it to New Orleans or OKC falling backwards by two spots again and landing in the sixth spot. What's funnier to you? Okay, honestly, I told everybody before we all got on the Zoom, I'm like, there's a 90% chance that we're doing this because Bill wants us to be live if that Pelicans <laughs> pick ends up being number one. And that's really all we're doing. Yeah. I think it 90, like, you know what? Is there a champagne <laughs> bottle just off camera for you, Bill? <laughs> well, we, what was the one we did together when, we, when our minds were blown? Uh, or was that was, an NBA draft? What was the one where we were on camera and we no, both just lottery. had our hands overhead? It was lottery, right? I think well, when, it was Luke, when Luca didn't go one, too, that was a, a you had yeah, like an in-studio party for that. I think yeah. it was 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you have, KOC? What's funnier, OKC falling backwards or the Lakers getting the first pick? I mean, it'd be that, that Lakers-Pelicans pick moving up to number one, of course. Okay. It'd be hilarious if that All happens. Right. It'd be kind of funny if OKC went backwards two spots again. Kyle, you agree on the Lakers thing? Yeah, I mean, both okay. are j driven by schadenfreude, but it'd be kind of sadly funny if OKC falls. <laughs> I hope that didn't happen for Tyler. Kyle, would your opinion on the on the uh, AD trade change if they gave the number one pick to New Orleans in this lottery? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on the outcome of the, the player. I mean, it, it looks a lot better. I mean, they've uh, they've definitely swung this based on what our, our like initial opinion was. I think it, that it's kind of had an upturn. I don't know. What do you guys think? Rosillo's in the they won a title. Was, the trade was worth at camp still, right? Titles above all. Yeah. Yeah, I know. What an idiot. What an idiot. <laughs> no, that, no are, I, I think are, it's a good camp. I respect it. <laughs> but you don't want to it to be title. true. That, but not only are we on this because of the Pelicans potentially getting the number one pick, I, I think you are working. I think there's a book out there that you're working on or why retroactively we could be like the AD acquisition was actually terrible. Um, 
because I think you want to like, look, it already has looked worse retroactively. It's just that every single fan base would have wanted AD and at the time. But yeah. I do think that there's another, if I can add to this, that we are going to get, we are going to see some teams burned in ways we've never seen them burned before with how unprotected just, hey, you want seven picks for your guy? Here you go. Here's some swaps. Here's some unprotecteds. And, and we'll just keep because people just were like, remember how we used to argue they were kind of under uh, they were overvalued. And yeah. then it swung this other way that I think you're going to see some things happen where we'll look at this era in the NBA and be like, remember when teams just were like, yeah, <laughs> here's four and three swaps unprotected. We don't care. Yeah, there's going to be a, a post generation of that generation that will be scarred and scared. Because it went that. from it went from those players being the best bets to what kind of bet am I actually making? Am I making a bet that a guy's going to be here for six years, or am I making a bet that he's going to opt out after three and force his way out or be hurt? Um, so there you go. It's a different KOC. Topic, your thoughts? No, it was a, it was a risk at the time that they did it. Uh, the right risk to take, considering they won a championship, like Rusilla was saying, and they could spill they could still spin eighty forward into something else if they really oh, really want to either this offseason or next year for that matter. If I was Tony Reale right now, I would have just given you like three points for that answer. Uh, quickly, because they're announcing the, uh, just saw World Wide West up there. Uh, KOC, what team do you want for Chet? Just quickly. Houston. Kyle? OKC. I think he'd be really fun there. Rosilla? I'd want to see that only to see how pissed off Poco would be. Like Poku would go Instagram live immediately. To like Instagram. it's not my responsibility to mentor this guy. Don't make any assumptions. We are we are built differently. Uh, I think Chet would love. I think his world would be entirely easier starting his career with somebody like Kate Cunningham in Detroit. Poku should do the LeBron tweet thing and be like, "I knew this guy years ago. Would be a great top three pick." Um, Poku Bonus. wouldn't do that, though. He'd do like a DeMarcus Cousins snakes in the grass. <laughs> Bonus question. Since 2007, how many times have the Kings picked in the lottery? Quickly, Rosillo. Since 2007. 2007? Uh, yeah. How many 13. times? KOC? Mm, 11. Kyle? 10. The answer is every year except 2019, <laughs> where they traded the pick, which the Celtics ended up getting, in a 2015 salary dump to Sacramento to Philadelphia. Remember that? It was like Stauskas, Carl Landry, yeah. Jason right. Thompson, and Philly's like, "Yeah, we'll take those guys." Hey, how about a, a pick and a pick swap? And Sacramento's like, "Sure, we're trying to sign Rajon Rondo. Sounds great." And ended up giving two picks. So there you go. They have been. 10, 12, 4, 5, 7, 5, 7, 8, 6, 8, 5, 10, 2, 14, 12, and 9. And, and then no we'll find out today. Since the Bush administration, Man. right? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Vivek, he's killing it. Uh, all right. The lottery is starting. Here we go. Cleveland is our 14th pick. I would have been really mad if they got another number one pick, guys. I think, I think that would have been enough. Yeah, but I thought we all like Cleveland now, but you just don't like their history. No, I just, I, enough yeah. with them getting the number one pick. Normal. I don't know if I'm getting this ahead of you guys or behind you guys, but OKC just got 12. The Knicks. Stay, staying steady so far. Yep. So at Cleveland, Charlotte, OKC, the Knicks, 10 spots should be Washington. Would be fun if they moved nope. up. Chalk. Nope. All right, we've gone chalk so far. 
All right, so Spurs are up next. Karma team. Is karma real? It is not. Uh, all right, shock. All right, here we go. Damn. This is the one. This is what we all signed up for. Come on, baby. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> man. I feel like if that was the Lakers' own pick, they win the ladder. <laughs> feels like, okay, we'll be back on Thursday. <laughs> oh, oh, Sacramento! Sacramento! Yes! Oh, my God. There we go. I'm so glad. Oh, oh man. Dave. Oh, Look wow. at Sabonis. Reese Garvey really not Whoa. happy about it. Oh, that's so, hilarious. Sacramento. I'm so glad we did that whole thing. Indiana 6. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So now this should be OKC unless they moved up. We are now in the top five. Oh. Wow. Oh. Wow. Detroit. Detroit. Wow. Right. So Detroit Dina. moved back two spots. Oh, that oh. hurts. Jesus. Two, but you know, wow. still the same odds. They had the best odds with Houston and Orlando. Does this mean Orlando's finally it's gonna happen? They've been due now for two plus decades. Well, after their insane Penny Hardaway uh leap, I mean, I guess th- do you lose your number one pick forever in that situation? <laughs> That's true. They they did hit two in a row. So we have Houston, Orlando, OKC, and Sacramento as our four. Yep, those are the four. Wow. Houston, Orlando, wow. OKC, Sacramento. Is Sacramento back? Who does Sacramento take if they get the first pick? Well, what'll happen if they take Chet, then no one's going to like Chet all of a sudden. They'll be like, oh, here we go. And Chet, Did you do a you know, Chet Sabonis combo? Chet yeah. can work next to Sabonis. Oh, yeah. You think it could kind of so. like with What was sub- that face, Ryan? Like Chet, Chet no, in that off no ball roll. Sabonis closer to the rim? Is that what you're imagining? Because you can't bring Sabonis away from the basket. No, I think it works because Chet can space. He's a catch-and-shooter. And then I think I think that it would work, too, because Sabonis would be able to guard more solidly bodied guys. We were talking yeah. about like the, the Horford-Rob yes. Williams combo is interesting because Horford positionally walls people up. Rob Williams swoops in and makes plays. Be a similar dynamic. I think that could work. Honestly. Yeah, it, yeah. We talked about that on our Spotify live with that type of dynamic. I, I still don't like it as much as some of the other fits, though, because with, with with the Horford Williams, at least you can switch screens and feel comfortable with with uh, Horford on the perimeter. Sabonis, so mm, maybe if you have Holmgren behind him, you could feel more comfortable with that. But then so again, the it, most, didn't, it didn't work with Turner either, though. So most yeah. fun would be Sacramento gets Palo. OKC gets Holmgren, Orlando gets Jabari, and then Houston gets, I don't know. Imagine putting Jaden with what they already have in Houston. That would be tough. That would be I, a rough know, one. That might be the, the time when I know, I know now guys have Keegan moving up to four. I, I love KOC having Sharp at five because I'm telling you right now, teams – that you trust are always like, hey, don't forget Sharp in that mix of the top guys uh, because of the size, because of the shooting. And the shooting part for him is real. I mean, it's so real that I almost would argue he he likes doing it too much. But that's... Uh, uh, by the way, there was no face for the record, Kyle. I think that whatever <laughs> Chet is... First of all, it's a ceiling league, okay? So that's why Chet still has a chance to go number one because his ceiling is the highest. But I, I would argue no matter where he lands, what he'll be asked to do will be a lesser role and a find a way to fit in role in the beginning of his NBA career, certainly than like Jabari, maybe certainly Powell though. Powell, depending on the team here, like he could be, he could be the initiator of an offense um, immediately. Um, 
So mm. wait, hold on. Hold that thought. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will know the identity of the top four teams. And then we're just going to go to town. I can't wait. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we're back. The lottery is back from commercial. We are back from our commercial. KOC, any last Chet thoughts before we hear the top four? Hmm. I just hope for him, he lands in a situation where, like Kyle was saying, he can be in that off-ball roaming role where there's not the pressure of him to have to defend interior guys. That's what I want for him. Hmm. I want Jabari to go to a team with a point guard would be my dream oh, yeah. out of the top three. Get, get him going. Get somebody who cool. can like set him up and work o- with him OKC? and make him better. Or Detroit. OKC with Giddy, SGA. Yeah. Oh One of those two. All right, Jabari's going to go. Four. If he goes to Kings. Houston, it's going to be pro-Auburn. Kings four. Okay. All right. Third pick. Ooh. Disappointing the that Kings got four. Rockets three. They're going to get a good Sorry. player. Yeah, they get all the pressure oh. off of oh, wow. not knowing. Orlando. <laughs> they did Orlando. it. They were due. They did it. Orlando did it. <laughs> they did it. Oh, my God. Congrats, Kevin Clark. Oh, wow. Okay. So, OKC is, OKC is two. Orlando is our number one pick. Wow. KOC, what do they do? Woo. Um, I think for them, uh, their front office, their history, you're thinking length here, right? Is it, is it Chad Holmgren? <laughs> is, is that where they're going here? Or are they trying to add some more uh, wing versatility next to, next to Franz Wagner with Jabari Smith? Is that, is that the move? One of those two guys makes sense. Wait a second. Franz Wagner, Chet Holmgren. Could we have a frontline whitewash of the Orlando? Don't they? Oh, and they could play the other Wagner. Jesus. It'd be like 1958 <laughs> in the NBA. How does that happen? Um, I The Mavs I, are so jealous right now. Wouldn't, wouldn't, if we all think Jabari is going to be really good, wouldn't Jabari make the most sense in that Orlando spot? Considering they have guards, they have some size. Wendell Carter was good last year. They have Wagner. Wouldn't wouldn't Kyle a shooter be the perfect fifth piece for that nucleus if you like Suggs? 
they need they need to stir their drink with like playmaking, like off the dribble creation and shooting. And this has been the story with them for like, I don't know, 10 years. It's been this way for a long time for Orlando. I think the Chet thing makes sense. It could work. I could see him doing it because he has such a high upside. It could free them up to maybe move personnel that they don't want to keep. But also, KLC and I were talking about this, like the forward combos are really interesting because this past season we saw glimpses that like Franz could be like an initiator. Like he's showing signs that he can be like a like a, a score off the bounce and a playmaker off the bounce. I think like a Paolo Franz combination is really cool, or a Paolo Jabari either way. Like or Franz Jabari, either one of those works. I, I think that they have a really safe bet of making a, a move that's going to work here. I think all three of these players could work. Rosillo, what do you think? Uh, the guard situation with the roster is sort of weird, right? Because Cole probably thinks he's the best of the guards, and their hope would be that Suggs is going to end up being the best and worth the pick. Um, and Fultz is still in the mix. And I thought when he came back, he actually kind of showed some glimpses. He's never going to be the guy that maybe we thought. And hell, I even have moments where I like RJ Hampton and how hard he works. Um, as, as a I guard like him too. Bench. I'm with you. Yeah, there's just something about him how he just busts his ass when Plays he's out hard. there. But he's like okay, 21 years old. Yeah. So you know, Paolo, I think his greatest strength. And Kyle, you were on this, and, and I, I want to give you credit for it because I'll, I'll admit, like, when you watch Chet and it's right, you go, what this guy could possibly be, how do you make it complicated? But if he has this one major flag that you just go, how does his body hold up? And I don't have to ask that question about Jabari or Paolo, especially if you're a GM who feels like, you know, I really got to get this one right. That one can factor into the decision because there's nights where I watch Jabari going, why would I not want this guy? He can shoot it. His number should be even better if his guards played with him better, but they would forget about him for long stretches or hand him shot clock grenades. And then Paolo in the beginning of the season, I remember you and I, Bill, texting like the first game that we watched. We were like, what, what's there to debate? Look at his body. Look at how he goes into transition and pulls up. Like, fuck, what are we doing? And that's how special the top of this class is. And back to Kyle's point was you felt like there was always going to be this power correction because I think the most enticing thing about him and what this league is and why Cade Cunningham won the argument a year ago is if you have a guy at Paolo's size who can initiate high pick and roll basketball, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's that's why I'm so excited about the top of this draft and why I could see a team going even with our guard situation. Maybe we just made us that much more difficult to guard if we're doing stuff with Franz and Paolo at that size and a front line that we kind of like, although I'm still scared to death of anybody paying Mo Bamba for the record. KOC, could you play Franz and Paolo together and in like round three of the playoffs? Sure. I think you could. Um, you need Bancaro to make some strides defensively. Uh, I don't I don't like the Bancaro fit for Orlando as much as I do either Chet or Jabari, though for the reasons that we're talking about. But with Bancaro, like Ryan's saying, you, you do need to factor in the shot creation that he could prevent p- potentially provide in that front court. And, you know, I, I also think it's important to remember that even though they have a Wendell Carter, even though a Mo Bamba is a restricted free agent, like, none of those guys might be part of the long-term future. You're going to take the player that you view as the best player available and then make everything else work around that guy. I did, to get ready for this, I wrote down everybody's keepers, expirings, and needs. And keepers, I mean, like, guys that you just know are going to be on the team. And for Orlando, I only had Franz, Suggs, Cole, and Wendell Carter. Only those four, right? So if you're just taking those four, who are I adding? Isaac is still, you know, there. Um, yeah, and I don't, yeah. I can't call I'm not him a telling, keeper I'm not anymore. telling you got no, it wrong. I just can't. Just, but. but if you just take those four, 
and you put Jabari on there, that looks like a five. Franz, Suggs, Cole, Carter, and then Jabari. Now, guys, this is a miracle. We had, there's a million sports podcasts. There's probably a million people behind the scenes on those podcasts. This might be the only one that has a diehard Orlando Magic fan on the Zoom, ready to pop in. Steve Cerruti, um, one of eight people, probably ever, who, who I, I don't know, you saw 80% of the Orlando Magic games the last couple of years. I thought you were going to say roots for the Orlando Magic. That hasn't given up on the Orlando Magic. He's so floored right now. He's not even popping on the Zoom. I think he, he we might have to resuscitate him. Oh, there he is. Uh, Let's go. Saruti, what do you want your team to do? I can't believe you got... I think you're overthinking this. The Magic... Chet was created in a lab to play for the Orlando Magic. He is this weird, freakish white guy who... Like they love length, they love like the they love the possibility of what players can be. They've taken like the lankiest, most weirdly athletic guy year over year over year. It's it was Isaac, it was Bamba. They've they've just stocked up at that position. I think I kind of feel like everything is aligned. What about I would I would trade Bamba or see what you can get for Bamba. I think Wendell Carter Jr. and Chet are are a perfect fit next to each other. Wendell's a a, a good center. Wow, look how he excited can, he is. This he is can, great. He can, no, but he could step out. He's not going to get in the way of Chet. And I still think, I think Franz can play the three. And I think they could just go super big and be really intimidating. And they've got two smaller guards. And Bill, I think you forgot about Markel Fultz. I know people like to make fun of him, but like this team is different when he's their point guard. I kind of feel like the Fultz, Suggs, Franz, Chet, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. five is pretty freaking awesome. One of the the comps for Wendell Carter prior to the draft, the popular ones, was Al Horford. So that relates to the conversation we've been having mm. about the best fit for Chet as well. I don't know if it applies as much nowadays with the way Carter's developed, but you know, we'll see how things change with that Orlando team. Just something that that kind of came to mind as you were talking, Saruti. Rosillo, Saruti just made a a key, important, and crucial point: the concept of franchise stereotype draft picks. <laughs> where certain teams just gravitate towards certain types of guys. And in this case, Saruti's right. Chet is like created out of a lab of all of these different draft mistakes Orlando has made really for the last 25 years. I'm in. I think we have to play it out. Chet and Orlando, I'm in. Sign me up. What do you think? Well, I, I would argue a lot of times they drafted where they drafted because it always seemed like the draft stopped right before their pick. Like right. whatever that first tier was, and then it was the Magic's pick. So I don't know if they were like when they got Mobamba, they couldn't believe that he was still there. Um, that draft in 17 with Isaac, when I would look at that top of that draft and I'd go, wait a minute, you got Fultz, Ball, Tatum, Josh Jackson, Fox. And I'd go, wait, Isaac is going to be a, somebody who goes sixth or seventh in an NBA draft with his skill set. Granted, you can't stay healthy, but you can remember what you were thinking about when this all happened. Um, even Herzonia, which kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. Aaron Gordon, it felt like it yeah. stopped. 2013, you know, Oladipo, that was a weird draft because you just didn't really know who you were excited about at the top. And maybe Oladipo was the one. So maybe you guys are right. Saruti would know it better than me. But I did feel like Orlando had an impossible run of the draft stopping right before their pick. And so that they took, changed. They took Bombo over Carter and Sexton. And then SGA goes 11th. I can't totally kill them on that. Yeah, you're right. There's sometimes, this always seems to happen to me in fantasy football auctions and stuff where 
I'm always like a dollar short or, and I just look back and I go, oh my God, if I, and I think Orlando has been that team. Yeah. Think about the the draft that you just mentioned. I mean, think about 18. It's DeAndre, it's Marvin Bagley, it's Luca, it's Jaron Jackson, it's Trey. (laughs) And then you're like, all right, Orlando's up now. And I'm telling you, um, I think at the time they felt really good about Mo being there. I did not like the Mo Bamba pick as KOC can attest because we argued about that that for a while. I, who knows? I still don't like it. He's, he's, he's still only like 23 years old. So who knows? Um, wait, I have another Saruti question. Does the Orlando Magic fan base, is this like a rally with Chet? Like what? Who's the coolest no. guy they could draft? Who could be face of the franchise? Palo is more like face of the franchise put on the front of the program, right? He is, but I feel like he's the weirdest fit. I don't, I don't know. I kind of feel like he and Franz occupy some similar things. Um, Mm. Whereas I think Chet, you could be a little bit more creative with. Like I, I want the ball in, in in Franz's hands more than it was in his rookie season. I think he, he has some upside. I do. I I I said this I on, on I don't know it was months ago. I just I don't think he has a weakness. Like I think he needs to get better at certain things. But I I think his upside is absurd. Um, Cerruti's, and he moves Cerruti's really well. Handle is no no flaw, Franz. It's <laughs> true. That is true. Let's get on board. Would you trade one to OKC for two and twelve if it meant yeah. not getting Chet? Oh, that's a great oh, question. I'd want more. That's but that a would great that question. would assume that like people like the Ringer NBA draft guide would all decide in about a month that Chet is the consensus number one. I almost feel like if you're two, you can't lose because you're getting somebody what, good anyway. That's what I said. I, I would be cool like with all the bad luck that the Magic have had. I was like, I'll just take the second pick, and I'll just whoever wants whoever you want to take one, and then we'll just whoever falls, we could take him. Um. But I, to answer your question, Bill, I, the, the fan base is definitely split. I think there are guys that want Jabari who think he's just like a bucket shooter. Like he's, he's going to be a, maybe, maybe not like an elite, elite level player, but he's going to be a really, really, really good player for a while. And Chet is like what we they've been burned before by like these project guys. So I don't know if the whole fan base is necessarily all in on Chet. I am like, I think I would have liked to have taken him at two. I think it's a little bit easier. But if they have the first pick and he's your guy, like I, I'd go with Chet. Kyle, would you trade two twelve and one of the other picks they have for one? If you're OKC, if you love Chet, we all agree Chet's like the perfect OKC guy. Now, on the other hand, Presti, master of the Zag, hard to read that guy. He might have already decided, I love Paolo, Paolo's the guy I want. But if they wanted Chet, is that worth it to give up some of the excess picks for him? I kind of think that OKC is in a similar situation here where they what they really, really need is it's interesting because we have three big guys at at the top of this draft that all three have ball skills that kind of covered and address different areas. That's what OKC needs. Like KFC and I were talking about like young teams that are like close, close to being interesting, maybe not good, but interesting. And I, I feel like any of the three of those guys would work. I wouldn't risk it. I'd go ahead and just take the there's a good player there. Um, I, I feel like Jabari or Paolo would work for them. I think Jabari would be pretty interesting because of how much downhill creation is already on the team. Like Jabari is going to average 15 to 20 points next year. I'm just calling. I mean, it seems like the, the lock of the century. He's going to score. He doesn't he, even even with his other development. Can I give flaws, you an unless for that? It's going to happen. Go Can ahead. I give unless. you an unless? Unless he gets drafted by the Rockets at number three. Because <laughs> that is going to be a whoever gets the ball over midcourt gets to shoot team. <laughs> and I'm not not excited for Jabari's 15 points a game on that team. Who's the point guard? Well, Jalen's going to have the ball because yeah. your sophomore year when you're that big of a pick. Like yeah, he's just, probably you, 25 a game next year, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what teams do. And that When you're that high of a pick, their sophomore year, they're like, all right, let's go. 
the keys are yours. But then you also have Kevin Porter, who's going to be like, you know, I'm not here to watch. And Wood on an expiring, <laughs> right. going like, Wood, hey, I need mine. You're right. Going into timeouts, pissed off, down 20 because the play wasn't run for him. You know? That's um, a tough spot for Jabari. It yeah. is. I, I, I disagree completely. Go ahead. Get, make the case. KOC zagging. I think with Jabari Smith, if he if you're putting him with Jalen Green, you're gonna have two complimentary guys down the line. Who cares about their rookie year as much as year three, four, five? If you have Jalen Green in that backcourt with his hyper athleticism paired with a versatile, switchable defender and Jabari Smith who can dr- drain threes and you hope develops his handle, those guys are fill different spaces on the court, fill different roles with their types of skills. I mean, I I love the fit there for Houston more so than Ben Carroll, where there's the questions about his ability to space the floor. There's questions about defense and culture. Jabari Smith Jr. is the culture. Like he brings that intensity. Like he, that's why for Houston, I like him because he brings it there to that team with the, he, that guy is constant hustle, constant intensity. That's what Houston needs. Yeah. And I think that Shingun would be a good pairing for him too, for like high, high post oh kind of handoff offense. Like you, you kind of take some pressure off him having to create. Was that a scoff at Shingun talk? No, I said my guy. That was, oh, okay. you got me excited. <laughs> Shingun, I was, I, I, you jostled me. Well, we know Jalen Green's not your guy. <laughs> Jalen Green. <laughs> just not more than Herb Jones. Yeah, I just love what? Herb Jones. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just have Jalen Green behind Herb Jones. That was yeah, the joke. That's all. Pretty I'm simple. sorry. Yeah, pretty simple. Uh, wait, before we go, because I want to talk about those other teams. Saruti, any last words to Magic Nation? Yeah. Which is basically you, Kevin Clark, Pat Williams' grandson, and three other people? <laughs> yeah, like some some of the, what was it, Tiger Woods and Bubba Watson sitting on the sidelines. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, if, if there's a, bunch a golf of event in town. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, parting words would be... I, this is a, we talked about it in the regular season. That team plays hard. They're kind of fun to watch. You add another one of these pieces. If it's Chad, if it's Jabari, look out, man. They're gonna be fun. Don't you have a ton of cap space too? Uh, not. I don't, no. I don't know about this summer, but but it it opens up. I mean, I just they, they just can't pay Bamba. If they pay Bamba, I'm gonna I'm gonna be bummed. I really am. Are you sure? Why'd you scoff, Priscilla? Are they over I the was, cap? I was, and I'm missing I was it? looking up cap space the other day for 2023, and I I don't think it's. Uh, I don't remember reading about Orlando having significant cast space. Because I was wondering if that if that could be a James Harden situation. Yeah, they do have cap space. Oh, they They're have twenty nine. Wait, is that is there some weird stipulation with that? I have them at eighty four million next year. That's enough money for James Harden, Saruti. Oh, you guys boy. are back. <laughs> I mean, you want to drop <laughs> a nuclear James, bomb bring on them team in. building? <laughs> God, they have the most. How did I miss that? Yeah, I don't know. I was Detroit, the Pacers, the Spurs, Portland. Um, KOC, yeah, who says I look, no? I looked them out. Who says no? Cole Anthony for James Harden. <laughs> Cole Anthony giant, says no. And a giant yeah. trade exception for Cole Philly. Anthony's like, I'm better. Yeah. Daryl Morey says no for sure. He's, he's, uh, he's doing what it takes to keep James Harden. Mm. Is that inside info? No, I'd, I'd just be surprised if Daryl Morey didn't want to keep his guy. He went he went out of his way, passing on so many potential deals over five months. I don't think he's going to give up on James. They're, even if they bring Harden back on his player option on a prove-it year, Morey's going to roll with that and see what happens. Before we take a break and, and say goodbye to Saruti, can we all agree that James Harden signing with Orlando would be the funniest outcome of the summer? <laughs> 
I, they I take Chet Holmgren. So random. <laughs> they take Chet Holmgren and then sign James Harden. There were there were a few years where I was pretty worried they were going to like try to do a home run swing and try to get Russell Westbrook in there. So I oh. feel like we're over those. No, no, no. This was this was before him when they had nothing going on. It was like, hey, let's just bring some guy in to sell some seats. They're beyond that now. They're too smart for that. There's no. There. It just wouldn't make sense. Okay. Chet screening for James Harden would be must see TV. I, I'd watch that. Current <laughs> James Harden. Chet Chet just confused why James isn't running back on defense ever. Wait, what's got, what's going on in the NBA? Suggs would probably fight him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. All right, we're going to take one more break and then we're going to talk about OKC Houston and Sacramento. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps. Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new. Drum roll, please. Fiery Buffalo. Oh, yeah. I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way. You roll. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King. $2.99 each. Price and participation vary. U.S. only. Okay, so just quickly, speed round. Who do you think Orlando should take, Rosello? Right now. Ah, uh, man. <laughs> it's it's really hard because of all these guys, and, and I have changed my mind throughout the entire thing, but I think I'm going to say Boncaro. Mm. Okay, what do you got, KFC? You have Chet? Chet. Kyle, you have Chet? Yeah, I think anybody that gets number one should take Chet. That's my opinion. Saruti <sighs> sold me on Chet. I'm going to mark Chet down for that. Okay, OKC at number two. I have for keepers for them, um, SGA, Giddy, and Dort. I mean, the irony of this is this was they just needed to get in the top three and get one of these guys. One of somebody with size is perfect. I think any of them they would have liked. Um, Jabari, let's say Palo, one of those two. Let's say Chet goes first. Jabari or Palo. I think we can all agree if Chet's there too, OKC would probably take him there. But um, KOC, Palo or Jabari for OKC, how Presty thinks. And the team they have already. In a vacuum, I like Bancaro more as a prospect for OKC specifically. I like Jabari Smith more because of the shooting, defensive versatility, the fit next to Giddy and SGA. That, that's a pretty exciting trio, young, young trio to build with. I agree. I agree with that. What do you say, Kyle? I think they've waited so long and built on this for so long and not knowing what this future is going to be like with Shea. I think you don't necessarily worry about fit, even though it'd be fun with Jabari. I think you take Paolo. He's more likely to be a franchise player. You're more likely to have the option to pivot if they want to and build around him. I think Paolo is a better pick there for me, in my opinion. The weird thing about this OKC thing, feeling like we're waiting forever, we haven't even really started waiting. You know, it's a really weird dynamic. And if Presti didn't have all the deserved equity, by the way, um, 
of what he's done in the past, then people would just look at this entirely differently. Uh, I'm not even sure SGA, if, if they couldn't figure out a way to flip him for something else, that they wouldn't do it uh, because I've heard it. I don't know if it's true. I've just heard it time to time. I remember we talked about that. What was that? A year yeah. and a half ago, we talked about well, him in the Knicks. And, and Cade too. Last year, there was the talk about trying to get Cade. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, you guys have all brought up really good points because the giddy dynamic, if Shea is there, you're like, okay, do I want another ball initiating player? I'm of the belief, like, I want as many guys that can initiate their own offense as they can now. Like, that's what I love. I love team. But that also can be the worst way to build your team especially when it's younger, because guys are like, I'm not sure how to take turns and taking the ball out of Giddy's hands and then Shea on the drive. So it would have to be me trusting that even with this group, Paolo can kind of figure out how to fit in when he needs to. But Jabari would be the easier one early on. So I'll say Jabari. I think Jabari wins the lottery if OKC takes him. That's, I think that's the single best fit of any guy with any of these three teams where you get to play with it. You get to, he has Giddy in his life for the next 10 years. Like just that alone, not to mention the SGA piece. I think it's a good point about could they upgrade with SGA? But ultimately, that's the kind of team I want to see him go to. Like good guards. I think he's super competitive. I think those other guys they have, I think Giddy and SGA and Dort, like those are three guys who could be in a playoff series, you know? And I think Jabari, from what I've seen of him and from what the word on the street is with him, like just, Really competitive work ethic, you know, really gives a shit. So that would be a nice fit. But here, I mean, we should talk about Presty for one second. He will zag, right? Like he, when he took Westbrook, he took him fourth. People were surprised by that. Harden that year, like he, he put some real thought into why Harden was the right pick, even like from his personality, like you have to be the third guy with these other two guys I have, what's your personality? And just over the years, I do feel like he thinks a little outside the box. So that that's why I'm not prepared to, he, he might just look at it and be like, wow, Paolo's available. I think that guy's going to be a superstar. And that might like check his box. I think it's so hard to predict. And they'll keep it really close to the vest too. Nobody ever knows what they're doing. Nobody, you know, pretty secretive. Is 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 OKC the team most likely to to not take Smith, Bancaro, or Holmgren of the top three teams? Oh, you mean like the random Scotty Barnes going over Suggs yeah, moment? But we know, have like, in the like, top like three, sharp, like Sharp or Ivy, that type of thing. I don't believe in e- enough in either one of those guys. Like Ivy, I just don't, I just don't see it. I I feel like Jabari. You were talking about like his fit. Can you imagine like running pick and roll on one side and like Giddy throwing those like cross court skip passes mm. to Jabari? A shooting it off the catch, B one dribble. He'll just make a living, man. I mean, it, it just it would be paradise for him. I really like that guy, and I I want him to go to the right team. Um, Houston. Who do you think they're hoping is there? Because I don't think Chet, whether he goes one or two, I don't think he lasts to three. So who do you think they want out of Jabari and Palo based on the team they have? Or are they just best player available? What do you think, Priscilla? I mean, it's kind of covers some of the same stuff we've already talked about, but I thought Kevin brought up really good points about Jabari coming in and kind of changing that stuff around. But, you know, if you want to dig into it, the guys that are pro Paolo, that means they have to argue against Jabari a little bit, would say personality-wise, like Paolo's not going to take shit, and Jabari might because he kind of did at Auburn where these guards were just atrocious for him. Um, But when it's right, and you see him pull up. I mean, it's it's this jumper that you can't believe a kid his age 
has in his bag. Like it's this pull-up jumper that's perfection off this chiseled body. And, you know, with more spacing in the league and him being set up in better situations, because he just will be, because it'll be so much better than what he went through in college. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, I don't know if Jalen and, and Kevin Porter Jr. at this point, that'd be something that they'd be focused on there. But uh, of the two, I, you know, it's, it might, yeah, I don't know. It, it might, I, I just go back and forth on those guys, man. It's fucking hard. Marcelo, you're going to really go into your cave and you're going to dive into this draft and change your opinion on this one, two, three, I feel like for the next six weeks. I already I don't feel been. like you're set. No, I already have been is my point. I'm already, yeah. I've already done all my reports on like the top, I don't know, 30. And I, I have a really hard time with these guys at the top. I, really I agree do. with Ryan. I think I think with this year's draft, like I've had Bancaro number one for about a month now. If 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 there's word that like he's going to be going to a team where the fit's not great, maybe I bump him down from one. Like the the big board order is going to depend on where we're going to hear these guys are likely to go. Like that that's going to play be a factor in how their ranks. Kyle, what if Sacramento calls Houston and says, "We'll give you four and Mitchell for three. Uh, I don't. I don't want Mitchell, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing that deal. Okay. <laughs> not. Not a Mitchell guy. You're still not a Mitchell guy. I thought he had some moments last year. He's fine. I just think he, he just the conditions are too. I kind of judge everything by the playoffs, man. I just. I don't know. I just. I, I have a hard time believing in that, and I've, I've kind of stood pat with that. For I'm a trying while to now. figure out a scenario where the top three isn't set, or somebody like in the Houston team could be like, "Ah, hey, we'll move." I just back can't two fathom spots. it, and it's not Davian Mitchell isn't getting you from four into the guaranteed. And again, guaranteed chances are one of the three guys going to be a huge disappointment at the top. Like I can love them all, I can have a hard time with it, but history tells us, and I can't get past the part of with Chet that there's something I'm really concerned about with him just physically holding up in comparison to these other behemoth wings that that can do a lot of stuff on the court. And Jabari breaks the tie for you if you like shooting and defense and Paolo breaks the tie for you if you like somebody who can initiate their con- uh, your offense because what he did at Duke when Duke was in trouble in the tournament Paolo got him out of trouble every time and you were like why can't they figure this out and then it was the other I forget what it was it was at the Arkansas game um, where you were like why are you guys going away from him they started fronting Paolo and they couldn't figure out a way to get him free off the ball to let him set it up and then the backup guard Roach saved their ass with these impossible shots. But there was a stretch at the close of that game, big minutes where Paolo was fixing everything just by doing simple high high ball screen, drive or kick stuff. So that's why I do like both guys because despite the size, other than that, they're very different basketball players. And I'm I'm imagining front offices are completely split about this stuff too. It's a really fun draft. I'll tell you what this does show me though, after the Sacramento thing, like if it's if it's Ivy or whatever, like to me, Keegan Murray screams Detroit now. Or maybe obviously I think KOC's on it. We can't be dismissing Sharp because he didn't play this year. But when you're thinking about fate of like fits with Cade. Tough one for Sacramento though, because I think the last thing they need is to take yet another guard in the lottery. I think yeah. it's how many years in a row have they done that? And now they kind of made their decision when they traded Halliburton for Sabonis that they're going to roll with Fox and Mitchell. Um, they got Barnes that is an expiring. Do you reach for Griffin there, maybe? I mean, Griffin, unbelievable shooting year at Duke. Um, I, I had written down, he was like over 40% in like all three of his play types from three. Um, 
could turn into a great defender. That's an interesting one that could work for them. I loved AJ and wanted to put him fifth and the injury history twice in high school and again this year. It's too much for me. What do you think, Cassie? I agree with that with Griffin. I mean, the, the I'd feel more comfortable with him in that, you know, seven to to eleven range, something like that for him. I don't know. I, I'm uh, for Sacramento. You're right. It's it's a tough spot to be because Ivy. Then you have Fox. You drafted Mitchell last year. The the you know maybe you're moving Fox. That makes you feel more comfortable doing that. Sharp a project bringing him into Sacramento. I don't know. I mean, I, I asked earlier, like, which team would be you know is OKC the most likely team to not take one of the consensus top three, but. I wonder, like, if one of those teams could want to trade down. It's a Sacramento or Detroit. Are they trying to put all their chips in to move up for one of these guys? And because I, lo- I like the fit for a Sharp or an Ivy for some of those top three teams as well. If they did decide to move down, so for the Kings, I'd want to be trying to move up. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know what their assets are other than future picks. Mitchell, they for keepers. I only I had Sabonis, Fox, and Mitchell. That's <laughs> it for keepers. Mike Brown. Background <laughs> stock stock low right now. Yeah. Uh, who did you, Russell? Who did you have for the Pistons that you were excited about them at five? Murray, well, Sharp. If Sharp shooting is what it looks like, and I watched, I've only watched the EBYL stuff, and I went through all of it, and like this dude for his size can shoot. Um, it appears he may despise passing. Um, KOC could speak to that probably because we were texting about it a little bit and I went, he has some stretches where I'm like, holy shit. And it's like, he just wants to dribble and get into this three point shot, but he makes it so much. Um, and teams have told me, don't, don't rule him out. Like when I ask about tiers and they'll say first tier into the second tier, I've had a lot of teams start their second tier with Shaden Sharp. Yeah. He, he came out of nowhere. Like he went from unranked to top of high school ranking. Yeah, what was that? Then, like, yeah, he, just, the number one overall? Bloomer. Yeah, late At bloomer. And then he doesn't play college basketball. He's a, he's There's a bit of mystery there. With yeah. Him. Uh, Kyle, uh, can yeah. you express your concerns without um, without getting the podcast pulled down? <laughs> I, you know, you hear things. You, 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 I don't want to speculate. They're kids, you know. I, and I don't know for sure if that's true. There, there have been things said you know, about, and Ryan made the joke about, you know, very likely scenario when it, when a guy leaves a program, you start to hear things that are unsavory. Thing about Sharp is he is like, he's a workout game to my eyes. I watch him play. You, you, he looks like a guy who just has like crazy, gets his own shot, can get to his own shot, probably sees the game and like, he's, he's, he's pretty far away from being like a playmaker. I think you kind of just need in a situation where you let him loose and be like an offensive, just flamethrower. But in terms of like feeling the game and seeing the game, I think he's a long way away. I've I've heard Sharp is 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 quiet, but a worker. Like mm. he he's like in the gym all the time. That type of guy. He's just quiet, keeps to himself. Um, Sounds like Dylan Berkey. Um, <laughs> possibility <laughs> in the gym, Dylan. Also rubs people the wrong way, Dylan Berkey. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a total head case. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> Love From everything going. we've laid out with Sharp here, <laughs> that there's some red flags. He left the program. He might be a little me first with the way he plays. He kind of never went to the program. Just well, so that's we can, the, like we can yeah. understand like how weird this was. And then Cal at the end of the year being like, "Nah, he'll be back." And they're like, "What is going on?" Because he's not coming back. Well, he shouldn't have played. No, I, I don't blame him for not playing. That, so, that part of it, I don't fault at all. He question should've. marks abound. Not it just just to me, scream Sacramento Kings at number four. <laughs> 
This is like this. This is so enticing to them, right? Okay, but but here's something, and Bill and I, you know, we've been doing this long enough that like you used to say something that I think was very important. You would look at high schools, be like, you know what? I don't like five high schools. I don't like right. five high I've school I've never guys. liked the five high school guys ever. You know That's what? changed, though. It's Yeah, it's so out of control. When you're doing the backgrounds on every one of the guys, you're like, oh, okay, played there, transferred here, and then showed up with these guys. It's kind of like late 90s tattoos in the NBA, where guys used to write articles being like, I don't know about this guy, Max Steele. He's got a couple eagles on his shoulder, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you just get desensitized. And you go, it was absurd to ever care about, uh, care about that. So I think the sharp stuff. So you think that's in, like very I, 1990s, the five high school thing? <laughs> I No, I do think that there was a time when it was something you were like, wait, what's going on? Like how many times the guys at five high schools, like Beasley was a five high school guy. And I think we'd all say that he was a massive disappointment. And I think there was a time where it could have been flat. I'm just saying for today's world, I don't even think about it anymore. I just try to keep track of like where and how it with the numbers. And then like, oh, his uncle was a coach at this place. And then he went there. To me, it's not even a thing anymore. Um, I'm looking at the ESPN 100 for 2021. Holmgren was one. Jaden Hardy was two. Amani Bates, three. Palos, four. Patrick Baldwin Jr. was fifth. Yeah. Jabari wow. Smith, sixth. That's something. So wow. Patrick Baldwin, he's going to be the wild card. He might end up being the Zaire Williams of this draft where he goes 10 spots higher than anybody expects. And then all of a sudden, it just turns out he had a bad year. I have a Sacramento. I just made up a trade in the spot. I feel like that's what the people want, right? They expect from this podcast at this point that I'm going to make up a dumb trade. Sacramento's four. The Knicks are 11. Could that be our De'Aaron mm-hmm. Fox mm-hmm. something? And then and then uh, the... The Knicks, maybe Sacramento's picking four and 11. They get something back. Then they can take Ivy at four and be like, this is our guy. Now we don't have to worry about Fox Ivy. But something with with the Knicks basically doing the 11 for Fox and that would be kind of the two components. Does that excite you at all, KOC? I mean, I'm not the biggest Fox guy, so yes, it depends on what else is in that deal. But I mean, Fox, after the Halliburton deal, averaged like 29 points per game on excellent efficiency. He played some of the best basketball that he did of his entire career. Um, so a big part of me would like to see Fox back there just to see if he can maintain that with Sabonis and, what, or, and whatever other pieces they add this offseason. I think I agree with you. I liked how he played after they cleared up that guard situation, I liked how he played with Sabonis. So I don't, I think I would probably want to see it, but at the same time, then you can't take Ivy. I just don't see how you do that. I don't see now. It's going to get at Sacramento and <laughs> they've, they have a track record of being like, ah, fuck it. Maybe it's sharp or it's a move up instead of down. Mm. Uh, Pacers six, Portland seven. I guess we don't have to talk about them. All right, we're good. Any Russell, any last subplots for you before we go? I can't help but think, and even though this is a particular, but I, I think there are going to be like guys taken through that second tier, and then two years later, we're going to be like, the right guys went 11, 12, and 15, and the wrong guys went. I, and I, I know you could apply that to a lot of years, but this year, it screams it with some of the guys being projected the way they are. But I'm not telling you like, all right, just invert these five for these five, because we all kind of know how this works. But it feels like within a very short amount of time, you're going to be looking at this class going, holy shit. Like, like Jang, right, Ryan? You mentioned this, him like right this up This always top. happens. 
I, I know what always happens. You're right. And so that's, you know, but this one feels like, like, I can't believe Jang isn't, a, isn't, isn't talked about more. And he had two different seasons. So the overall numbers aren't great. He got hurt. He sat out. He came back. He's their best pick and roll guy. He's actually young. That's another thing with this class. You've got all these guys coming in and we're thinking they're so young. Some of these ages are way like this. This class is older for who they should be. There's a lot of guys. I'm like, why is this guy 22? Like he was in college for a year. What fuck's going on? <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I think Dyson uh, is the best player out of all the G League guys. I don't even think it's debatable. I think he checks almost every single box. I think he's a terrific basketball player, but I see him behind a handful of, of other guys that are more well known. Yeah, you know, on that point, so right now the ladder is nine San Antonio. Uh, I wish say eight New Orleans, who's going to get a good player out of this. Nine San Antonio, 10 Washington, 11 Knicks, 12 OKC, 13 Charlotte. It's a little like that year. What did, Do- what did uh, Donovan Mitchell end up? Went 13. And there was like a couple misses before him, but he went 13. And I think Bam went, did Bam go in that same draft too? Bam was, uh, he was, was 14, one pick yeah. after Mitchell. Right. Yeah. So, and then you look back and you're like, wow, Mitchell went 13 and Bam went 14. I do think just looking at KOC's draft, um, you look at the guys from that 9 to 13 range and one, two of those guys could end up being that. I haven't done all my homework yet. Matherin, Davis, just some guys like that. Mark Williams, we talked about him earlier, Kyle. There's a number of those guys who could pop. A couple of Justin Paytons on our hand. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think that when you get a pick in that like six through 10 range, the branding of top 10 pick just clouds people's minds. We're like, we got a top 10 pick here. We got to, we, we, we are obligated to go by like, this guy could be a star. The guys in that like 10 to 15 range, they're good. They'll be there, but they think they have to take a swing and this, and then thus they miss on something that's going to be good. And like, I was telling KOC that like, Mark Williams, I think, is going to be able to play pretty early. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. And there, it just happens every single year. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're big- right. It does happen. I guess I'm just, you know, I keep seeing the same group there. And I think Mark Williams is a perfect example. Like, if he can come in immediately and be this protect the rim, roll guy, show on some perimeter stuff and not get destroyed, you're like, wait, did I just find a, a, a closing a center in like a, in a game where the other team goes small. Is that what I we're like talking that about dude. here? Uh, I, I think he'll be shooting three someday too. That's that be my long term prediction. Where does this draft drop for you, KFC? Is it Hardy at fifteen? Yeah, I'm looking at your big board. Easton sixteen. Is it so, or do you think it goes all the way through the teens before it drops yeah, off? Is Mark I mean, Williams I, the last like guy you feel great about? Yeah, I mean, if you're putting these guys into groups, maybe it's like three. We love first top three, then it's maybe four to. Eight and then a nine to thirteen where I have Jang because uh, I'm with you, Ryan. Like he he's a guy I could easily move up. And then after that, I think fourteen, fifteen is you know around where it does drop off again. But okay. then it's a a big group where like it's you know whatever your taste is, whatever type of player you're looking at. Yeah, because it's fun because Cleveland's fourteen, Charlotte's thirteen, and they might actually get guys that yeah you know could be in round one of the playoffs next year and actually be playing. All right, we're uh, we're gonna take a break to. Watch this Celtics Heat game. I can't believe I made it this long. Rosillo, great to see you. You have a podcast coming this week. KOC, Kyle. K- KOC, when's the next mismatch? Uh, Thursday. Okay. And then, Kyle, you're doing something Ringer NBA show at some point soon? Probably. Uh, okay. I, wrote a, I wrote a big Chet Holmgren thing today. I, I saw that. I, I the don't. new unicorn. You, you, gave, you officially gave him the unicorn label. We'll see. The whole point of it is, is he a unicorn? We'll see. We'll see. Oh, he's definitely from a body-wise standpoint. For sure. Congratulations to Saruti. 
Uh, this podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton, as always. Thanks to Dylan Berkey as well. And we'll see you next time. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.